welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yardena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Yevapot, daf kuf hey, page 105. Our daf today is, or at least what we're going to be talking about, is life and times of the people of the daf. We have several different stories about people of the Talmud. Um, Ahmed Aleph, which is where I'm going to take the story I'm going to talk about, or it's really two, one that runs into the next, um, is particularly long. So I'm acknowledging again that, as always, we're not doing the whole daf. Levi naflak lekiryata. Levi goes out to a village. He's going out to teach Torah. Bal minei, they come and they ask him, because that's what happens, right? One of the sages would go to teach Torah in the areas that wouldn't otherwise have, I guess, schools or scholars, and everybody comes to ask their questions. This is the first question. Gidemet mahushetachlots. What happens about a woman who does not have arms, you know, can she do chalitza? And or what, what way can she do chalitza? And the implication is, can she do chalitza, let's say, with her mouth, with her teeth, something like that. Yevama shirekaka dam mahu. Next, what about a yevama who's coming to do chalitza, right? That's the point. And instead of spitting, she spits blood. Meaning instead of spitting saliva, which is the expected thing to emerge from her, she spits blood. What is the halakha in that case? Does that count as Chalitza, I'm thinking, get yourself to a doctor, lady. But again, the halacha question stands. Um, so the Gemara here says, they also asked a question about this particular verse that's from the book of Daniel, from the book of Daniel, that says, again, the, the words here are, but I will declare to you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. So the implication then is that there's writing from heaven, no less, that is not truth, right? If you can say, this is a writing from heaven that is truth, then what does it mean, or isn't the implication that there's writing that is not truth? So Levi did not have easy answers at hand to each of these questions. They're all kind of challenging questions. Um, two, practical, and one, I guess, more scholarly or philosophical. Uh, so he goes to the Beit Midrash. He goes to the Beit Midrash, and he's going to ask there, right, these same questions. So the, the, the sages in the Beit Midrash say back to him, you know, does it say explicitly that she should remove the shoe with her hand, does it say that she has to spit saliva? Meaning the the text says she should remove the shoe, with the implication then that he can answer as long as she removes the shoe. It doesn't really matter by what means she does so. And likewise, as long as she spits, if she spits blood, she's still spitting. Um, and that should mean then that the chalitza should be valid. What about this verse that's, that implies that there could be Heavenly writing that would not be true. So the Gemara answers here, or again, the sages in the Beit Midrash give an answer to Levi. It says, there's a writing of truth, meaning you can have a sentence, a sentencing or any kind of judgment that is accompanied by an oath. And that's called writing of truth. And once it's writing of truth, it can't be canceled. But the idea that not everything is this kind of sentencing of judgment or writing of truth, um, it, it doesn't mean that it's 
false, it means that it could be changed in a future edict or future judgment. Here's Rav Shmuel Bar Ami, and this lines up with what Rav Shmuel Bar Ami said. The Amar Rav Shmuel Bar Ami, Amar Rav Yochanan, no, I'm sorry, Amar Rav Yonatan, Minayin Lagzardin Sheyesh Imo Shvua Sheino Mitkarea. So Rav Shmuel Bar Ami said in the name of Rav Yonatan, how do we know that the sentence of judgment that comes with an oath um, cannot be torn up? Uh, we have a verse This is a verse from Shmuel Aleph The book of Samuel Where he says I've sworn to the house of Eli That the sins of the house of Eli Will not be atoned for Even if with sacrifice And offerings you know, forever Meaning these things The sins that Eli's sons did uh, Were not atonable According to the statement um, you know, despite the, and, and it's a, it's a judgment that comes with an oath, and the claim that is that even if they would bring carbonate sacrifices in the in order to to atone for themselves, the claim is that this would not work. Amar Rabba, so Rabba says as follows: So Rabba says, you're right. From sacrifices, carbonate, you could bait Eli. The house of Eli could not atone for themselves. But with the words of Torah study, they really could. You see, of course, that Chazal don't want there to be any th- anything for which there is no means of atonement. Abai says the same thing, not, but in his, in his um, assessment, the way that the house of Eli could atone for themselves is through acts of chesed not necessarily with three words of Torah, still not with sacrifices. Like the sacrifice route is not speaking to Chazal here as they're trying to figure out how could the house of Eli still, you know, atone for themselves. Rabba v'abai midibayt Eli ka'atu. Rabba da'asak b'Torah haya arba'in shnin. Abai da'asak b'Torah uvin gumilut chasadin haya shitin shnin. So the Gemara explains that Rabba and Abai themselves each came from the house of Eli which is a pretty profound and powerful statement to make. Rabbi says he um, he was steeped in Torah, in learning Torah, Torah study, and he lived to be 40, which right now sounds like a horrifically young age, but the point is that he lived to be actually older. And Abaye, it says he lived, he was steeped in both Torah and in Gimut Chassidim, act of kindness, and he lived to be 60. Again, not in our lexicon as particularly old, but the claim is that these were these they each lived longer than other descendants of the house of Ailey. And the the claim is, the Gemara's claim is that they did so that they that they enjoyed a greater longevity because of the way they lived their lives. The Gemara goes on. Tanara Banan, we have a bright that gives us a similar story. There's a family in, in Jerusalem. Where the children were dying at the age of eighteen, so they came and they told this story to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, namely, "Hello, our children are dying at the age of 18. Maybe you're from the house of Eli because of the same verse. The, the position from the or the prophecy, position judgment from Sefer Shmuel that. Um, the descendants of Eli would die young. And, and Rabbi Yochanan Mazakai says to them, go out, immerse yourselves in Torah study or in Torah, and you will live. 
and that happened. They did that. They went out and they they steeped themselves in Torah and they lived. And therefore they came to be called the family of Yochanan because his advice enabled them to live, uh, quite literally. Which is, I think, again, you know, this is, it sounds like it's magic, uh, a magic prescription, but um, I think that sometimes, I, I, I don't want to say that the Gemara is telling us fairy tales. I want to say that the Gemara is telling us a story that they all understood to be true. And so we can appreciate it within their same lexicon. And, you know, halavai, if only we could have that same clarity that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai brought to their story. Yeah, uh, you know, this is a this is sort of like a fact, right, that appears in multiple places. I don't think this is the only Gemara that references it. But it's interesting to see that it sort of was like a generational, you know, like that it continued for thousands of years, that this was a war. You didn't have sort of like a, an, an end to it, that even in the times of the Amorayim, it was actually a concern still. And also the fact that people could trace themselves all the way back to Ailey. Yeah, and, and or here where there's a hypothesis that they must be from the house of Ailey, right? Like he, he's not even sure. It's not that they've got a list of their generations, but um, but once you see that people are dying young, it's legitimate to say, aha, you must be right. from the house of Ailey. Right, that you must, right. I, I guess that's the way to say it. Like, it's interesting to see, like, if that's what your family trajectory is, then it must mean this. Um, I'm going to move on to Amadabat where there's also another, interesting story. The Gemara is in the middle of a discussion about whether or not a minor girl uh, who's not reached maturity yet, whether she can do chalitza or do, would she do chalitza as a minor and then do repeat chalitza again as an adult. And it has to do with the machlokas between Rabbi Meir and maybe Rabbi Yossi uh, about how you understand the word ish in the psukim of chalitza. And because it says ish, does it mean that we also say isha, that the woman also has to be of, of maturity? And so they tell the following interesting story here. So Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, um, you know, came to the, to the Beit Midrash. And basically, it says the light-footed yitfu uh, They went to their places. In other words, you could picture it like everybody's schmoozing in the Beit Midrash. Rabbi Huda Nasi comes in. So everybody like quickly scatters and goes back to their seats. Rabbi Shmuel, but Rabbi Yossi, but Rabbi Shmuel, but Rabbi Shmuel, the son of Rabbi Yossi. Agav Urke Habe Mifasa Ba'aziel. Because he was very overweight, he was stepping and walking. In other words, he couldn't quickly get to his uh, seat because he had trouble moving around. Now they say it's because of his size, but it's just interesting to sort of see such a physical description of somebody here. Amrle Abdan. So Abdon was the name of a student of Rabbi Huda Nasi, Abba Yudan. And this was like his, he was like his shamish. So he says, he sees Rabbi Shmuel sort of slowly trying to get to his seat. Who's the individual stepping over the heads of sacred people? In other words, it didn't look nice, like the way that he was sort of getting back to his seat and stepping over everybody. He took it as a sign of disrespect. He didn't realize that he was actually having trouble walking. Um, Marley, so Rabbi, so they, he says to him, Rabbi Shmuel replies, "Ani Shmuel, Rabbi Yossi. I'm Rabbi Shmuel, the son of Rabbi Yossi. Shabbat me, Rabbi." And he says, "I came here to learn Torah." And what are you calling me out for, basically? 
And he basically accuses them and he says, do you think you actually, because of the way you're behaving, that you really could learn Torah from Rabbi Huda Nasi? It's really, it's like a very not nice story, but really like the Shamish is making an accusation where I think he's misinterpreting the way that he's walking as a sign of disrespect. And he's saying like, no, I'm really here and I'm ready. And we, all of us knows these types of stories where sort of, and maybe this has happened to some of us where a teacher sort of accused us of something were misinterpreted in action, and and that's not what we meant. Amar lay, and so then he replies to him, right? Was was Moshe fit to learn Torah from the mouth of of Hashem? Right? It it basically saying like, of course Moshe wasn't on the same level as Hashem. How could Moshe be a god? The student never has to be on the same level. Never has to be equal to the teacher. So he says to him, he goes, are you basically comparing yourself, Rabbi Ishmael, to Moshe? And then, so he says to him, he says to the shamash, he says, are you comparing Rabbi Yehuda and Nasi uh, to Hashem? I'm a Rav Yosef. So Rabbi Yosef says, And so he says, Rav Yosef says, here's like part of the story, here's Rabbi Yehuda and Nasi, actually received retribution. In other words, Rabbi Huda Nasi, presumably, right, because he walked into the Bami Drash, he saw this entire terrible exchange of these heated words between Abu Dan and Rabbi Shmuel, and he sits there and he doesn't say anything. And so what happens? Right? That when Rabbi Shmuel sort of yells back and says, right, um, right, is your Rabbi, right, is your teacher God, he should have said Rabbi because he was there to learn from Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi is my Rabbi like God. And he basically insults Rabbi Yehuda Nasi to say Rabbi and Rabbi Yosef, who's an Amora. Remember, these are stories of the Tanaim, basically says this was kind of like a little bit of a rebuke uh, to Rabbi Yehuda Nasi because he's sitting there and he's not interfering. Like the idea should have been he knew Rabbi Yishmael and, and, uh, and, 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 you know, he should have stopped this. So, and then the Gemara picks up that, you know, they told the story sort of because uh, that there's basically Yabamo came before Rabbi Yudha Nasi. There's a question whether she was a minor and how did they resolve it? That really does deals with the case of what's going on here. But again, I thought this was a great, one of these like stories that we find embedded in these pages in the middle of a halachic discussion where I think we see like how real the Tanayim were, like, think any of us could picture or have actually witnessed an exchange like this between a teacher and a student and sort of how unpleasant they are and how not nice the words actually are and also how heated things can get very, very quickly. I mean, look how it gets from sort of like, you know, Abu Dan's accusation, Rabbi Shmuel trying to uh, defend himself to like this point where it's like, well, you think like you're Moshe, you think you're like God and Rabbi Huda Nasi just sits there. So this is actually, it's also interesting. This is a story where an Amora comes in is actually very critical of Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, which I think is also interesting that the Gemara was willing to print that to say something that was a little bit not so flattering about Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. I mean, I think we are often reminded, right, that on the one hand, we're trying to give Kavod to the sages, and then on the other hand, they are presented to us and to each other, or the way they're presented, how they relate to each other in a very human way. Yeah, this is human, right? We don't, even teachers, even somebody as great as Rabbi Yehuda Nasi doesn't always do the right thing. 
Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydra website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talent Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.